Have you heard about the guys over at Chinook Seedery? They are the only sunflower seed company that is taking the time to connect with college athletes and trying to help them build their brand. They have eight flavors from mild to wild with way less salt and no sandpaper tone. So check them out today over at ChinookSeedery.com. Back-to-back two-out hits for Vanderbilt. Bring it a miss. Fifth K for Holman. up everybody you know what time it is that's right it's time for the in off the bench podcast i am daniel ball and i'm joined as always by my co-hosts my partners in crime my brothers from other mothers jim cross randy jowers and boys tonight's episode 15 titled inject in his veins because we got lsu's newest star luke holman joining us he's going to talk to us about his story he's going to talk to us about his time at tuscaloosa with the Alabama Crimson Tide, and then he's going to talk to us about what it's like being in Baton Rouge trying to regain another national championship for the Tigers there. Guys, I don't want to waste any of it. Let's get right to it. Help me welcome on to the show with the biggest interview and podcasting this week, our man, LSU baseball star, Luke Holman. All right, our man, Luke, new LSU Tiger. How are we doing tonight? I'm doing pretty good. How about you guys? Oh, man, blessed, uh, especially anytime we have a guest from Louisiana State University. Uh, man, before we get into your story, before we get, before we get into anything LSU, man, um, you know, I just want to ask a question for an, a couple of icebreakers real quick. I was in Tuscaloosa yesterday with uh, my daughter. We were watching the soccer game, um, huge Memphis fan. Um, you know, what's your favorite spot to eat? Because we were looking around trying to find the best spot. If you would have gave me a spot, what would it have been? Um, spot. I mean, breakfast. Uh, just loves breakfast. Was pretty good there, but I'm blanking. I love the pizza place downtown, Glory, Glory Bound. I think it is. That's a pretty good place. Yeah, I think the problem for us was because it was Sunday. A lot of the places were closed, so uh, that is unfortunate. The other question I got for you, man. It was weird for me. It, it was it was cool after like I I read up on it and got the context on it. But the first time you saw there was a massive cemetery across from the football stadium, what was your thought? Oh, I didn't really put much to thought, like not much thought into it, but it was like a weird place to put it. But, you know, <laughs> I don't really think much about it. So. I got you. And then uh, I got a fun one before I turn you over and let uh, Daniel do your story, man. People always like to know the answer to this question is a fun one, man. Say, uh, say you had to do karaoke and, and the friends wanted to hear you. What song do you feel most comfortable getting up on stage and doing karaoke? Karaoke. Uh, probably a country song, something like that. Um, definitely any Morgan Wallen song, I would feel like. Oh, not Morgan Wallen. That's Daniel's least favorite. It's the easiest one. Everyone knows them. It's the easiest one to sing. So, probably those oh, songs. Luke, I'm going to be honest. Outside of uh, Luke, he could, Morgan Wallen could be sitting right next to me. And I wouldn't even know who that dude is. <laughs> but he just got a haircut, so he probably wouldn't recognize uh, I mean, even if he didn't, even if he, you know, looked exactly how he did on that album that he just dropped with 72 songs that take 10 hours to listen to, like, I still wouldn't know who he was. 
I just, I don't know. I just don't understand the infatuation. But I'm, I'm not a country music guy either, so that's probably a lot to do. I kind of, when I got into country, he's kind of my first guy to listen to. So that's probably a big reason. But Gotcha. All right, Luke, let's jump into your story, man. Obviously, we got to start at the beginning. So tell me a little bit about your hometown. Where are you from? Uh, Reading, Pennsylvania. It's about an hour south of Philly, and it's pretty nice. Yeah. Sinking Spring, exactly where I'm from, but it's like 10 minutes from the AA uh, Philly Stadium. So play there a lot in high school. Nice, nice. You know, I'm down here in, in Tampa, not too far from the Phillies spring training location. So a lot of, a lot of Phillies folks down here, they, they, they become snowbirds down here. They want to get away from that, that weather. Yeah, definitely. The Northeast. But um, tell me a little bit about growing up with your, your family. Obviously, you know, you had a father that played baseball at Jacksonville State um, before being drafted by the Phillies. Um, you know, he spent eight years in the organization. You got a sister that plays softball collegiately at Covenant College in Georgia. Um, but outside of dad and sister, you got mom in the picture, brother, any other brothers or sisters? Uh, yeah, my mom actually lives in Florida, so I'm down there sometimes in the winter, summer, and stuff like that. So, gotcha. North, but um, I grew up Reading. I my dad was originally from Alabama, so we made a lot of trips to Alabama, and that kind of out of high school kind of pushed me toward there. But out of high school, I was really looking. At LSU was like I was really thinking about coming to LSU, and then some things happened, and you know I went to Alabama. But well, we're gonna we're definitely gonna unpack that whole decision, and you know we're definitely gonna get into Alabama and talk about that. But you know, you know, prior to that, you know, when I think about your dad and having the ability to to have a a big league career or, or even being a big league player, I think to myself and go, well, Luke probably you know as early as he could walk, he probably was picking up a baseball or swinging a bat or had a glove in his hand, like. At what age do you start playing baseball? Uh, as soon as I could walk, I'd say. You know, not baseball, but just swinging stuff, throwing stuff. And, you know, my dad, you know, he's going to push baseball onto me. But also he let me play other sports and get athletic and all the other sports. And as I got older, I got the most out of baseball because I had someone with me day in and day out just talking over the basics and just, you know, helping me out a lot. So it was nice. So as you, you know, develop, you get to high school. Once you get to high school, are you playing multiple sports or is baseball the only sport that you're playing at the time? Um, that's when I kind of just went straight into baseball because I, I know, I think out of middle school, that kind of summer going into ninth grade is when I kind of realized, like, I made a you know, switch. And I was like, man, I'm getting good at baseball. So let's kind of work on it and get better. And then I actually senior year, I ended up playing in basketball just, just to play. But yeah. what, uh, what high school did you go to? Uh, Wilson high school. Wilson seems fitting for a baseball player to go to a high school <laughs> named Wilson. Uh-huh. I, I went to Rawlings. Was, yeah. Just, uh, just yeah. makes sense. But, yeah. Luke, man, you were rated the number three overall player in Pennsylvania and the state's number two right-handed pitcher, according to Prep Baseball Report. Baseball America, you were fifth-ranked prospect from the state of Pennsylvania in the 2021 baseball draft. Um, 
you finished your season senior season with a seven and one record and one save with a 0.88 ERA with 55 innings pitched and 113 Ks. And that was just your senior year. We don't have enough time on the show to list how successful you actually were in high school because it, it's like reading a, a, a 20 chapter book. There's a lot to unpack, but just how much fun did you have in high school playing baseball? I had fun. I it's not just playing the game, but like I'd play with a great group of guys and growing up since we were kids and I know them forever. So when you play with a bunch of fun guys, it makes the sport even more fun. So. Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously, you know, we have this discussion with, with all the, the guys that we have on when it comes to baseball and the difference between high school and travel ball, obviously, you know, most guys your caliber are playing some type of travel ball. Am I correct? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, who did who did you play travel ball for? Uh, I played for my dad when I was younger. And then when I got up to, like, probably high school, late high school, I kind of went to, you know, showcases. I played for East Cobb a little bit. And, you know, I just mostly went to showcases for the draft and everything like that. I got you. So – between high school and travel ball, like at what point do you go, man, I, I can play at the next level. And then at what point do the college offers start rolling in? Uh, definitely 10th grade summer after 10th grade is when it started. Cause I went to some showcases. I started throwing harder. I would say after 10th grade, I finally was getting stronger as well and I've always had the off speed and stuff like that so when the velo came you get offers stuff like that and then I really had a good curveball so that kind of was the outlier on some colleges reaching out to me so about that time I thought hey let's keep getting better and good things will come all right so then once all that you know starts panning out how does how does Alabama become the choice um Probably I wanted to go south and play south, so I was looking at a lot of south schools, and I don't know. I just I went there. I didn't really think much of Alabama baseball, so I was always a big Alabama football fan when I grew up. So I kind of played a part in it, going to the football games, stuff like that. So, so one of the questions I was going to ask right off the top was what the culture shock was like from Pennsylvania to Tuscaloosa, but you talked about traveling down there a lot, and then you just sit there and talk about the football game. So was there much of a culture shock for you coming from the north to the south? Um, Not really. I mean, Alabama is more south, but a lot of northern people, I think, go to Alabama. So it was kind of like not all southern down there and stuff like that. But it was mostly the shock was just playing in college baseball. The difference between high school and college is such a big jump in that whole transitioning is probably the biggest shot there yeah and so let's go right into that man you know first season you come out the bullpen with 15 appearances um you know some ups and downs but man talk about what you learn in that freshman season and that in that jump because that's always the the biggest thing we get from guys is that because you know we can talk about how good travel ball might have been we can talk about how good your high school uh you know competition might have been but it doesn't match what you're gonna see in division one especially in the sec yeah, it's experience. I think a lot of older guys definitely. When you come in, you think, "Hey, you're gonna be good," but you're not, and you're still got the stuff and stuff. But the experience is probably the biggest thing I like had. And some older guys kind of took me under their wing, helped me get better, and you know, just getting bigger and stronger and the mindset 
mind like you grow and stuff like that but it's just it's a lot yeah yeah and you know going into your sophomore season and that's the thing everything you just said so you get nutrition you get weight room you get experience you get all those things and that's why a lot of times I mean obviously guys have big time freshman years but for most guys you'll see that jump from freshman to sophomore year and you fall in that category because you've gotten acclimated in every single way and so you went seven and four 3.67 ERA with 87 Ks as a member of the weekend rotation um Man, the first thing I got to talk to you about, because I didn't watch the game, dude, you had five innings of no-hit against Sanford with 12 Ks. Um, dude, What? talk to me about what it's like having a no-hitter and, and you, you exit the game. Uh, I only had 65 pitches that game, but it was, I was on a pitch count. So at 65, I could have kept going. But, you know, they want to take me out for pitch count reasons. But, yeah, I felt good I just the year before, which that was my third start. Right before the year, I picked up a slider. And that became one of my best pitches this year. And it's just – it's going to get even better working on the offseason, stuff like that. But that really – that game is probably was like, this slider is going to help me a lot this year, definitely. Daniel, are you coming off the mound with a, with a no-hitter, man? Absolutely not. Yeah, everyone was, everyone was mad. I got drag <laughs> drag me off that thing. Yeah. Uh, but nonetheless, and I'm sure uh, you know, it's it's Sanford games in hand. It's you know, so it, all the different dynamics, like you said, you're on a pitch count, it's early in the season, it's Sanford, like you know, it's different dynamics. I just man, 12 Ks, I'm thinking five innings. I'm thinking you go, you could probably no hit this thing and end up with 15 to 20 to ish, man. That'd be a game for the ages, but let's talk about a game where it wasn't that scenario. Um, what I thought was, you know, your best game per my, you know, looking at the stat line uh, was against Vandy, man. Um, and we don't like Vandy on this show. So we, we love the idea that you did that, you know, seven innings allowing two runs. Um, you had seven Ks, uh, you know, talk to me, you know, that's a top 10 team playing Vanderbilt going in there, having that kind of success. Uh, yeah, it was the, the weekend we got swept by LSU and then went and I was, we had to turn things around. So we kind of got together and was like, Hey, I got to go out there and pitch hard for my teammates. And hopefully they put runs on the board and they did that. So, you know, you talking about getting swept by LSU, we talked about Jim Vanderbilt. It's a lot of, there was a lot of ups and downs, but let me ask you, you know, for Alabama, we had a lot of discussion on the show. We, we do a lot of breaking down of college baseball and we really did not know what to think. There were a lot of people that were high on y'all um, and, you know, obviously starting off in the top 25 expectations, like, you know, um, what's it like, you know, especially when you are in the SEC, you know, having expectations like that where um, you're in the SEC West Gauntlet and they're expecting you to, to, to be able to accomplish these big things. Uh, Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard, but you got to fight through it and every game is a battle and it's, it's a mindset who's got the tougher mindset and, you know, midway through the season, we were, I think, 9-12, and 12, but it's about quitting. We didn't quit and just kept fighting, so. Yeah, and and speaking on that note, you know, let's talk about it. Um, You know, Coach Bohannon is, is let go, and our conversation on here was how would your team respond, and, and I'll admittedly admit that I was wrong, dude. I honestly thought that y'all would fold. Um, you know, I was like, dude, their coach is leaving. The, the Alabama's going to end up being a sinking ship. So, did I own it right here on the show that that I was wrong? But 
you know, obviously y'all didn't give me the vibe of the locker room and what, what guys were saying, because clearly not only did y'all not fold, but y'all ended up like, you know, going on a run. Uh, Yeah. If you knew the guys, you knew we wouldn't fold or anything. Great group of guys and a lot of older guys as well. So they've been through college a bunch of years and they were like, Hey, let's not season's not over. We got a lot to play. So, so yeah. Yeah. And I mean, so you obviously put together a lot of wins and you end up getting to host a regional man. And, um, you know, and that's, that speaks volumes to, Hey, I played the stretch. So man, tip of the cap to, to those older guys and to yourself, man, for, for not hanging it up, not using the coach as an excuse and, uh, and going out there and taking care of business and taking care of business again, you know, in regionals, you got to pinch against uh, Nichols in that regional, you know, talk to me about what it was like pitching in postseason in Sewell Thomas Stadium with that crowd being electric. Uh, it was awesome. Yeah, they haven't hosted it in a while, so it was pretty cool. And I knew the first game was big deal, so I tried to pitch my best. And, you know, every game matters. So going into season, like, hey, let's win one game at a time. And we just – we did that. What is – uh? And you may not even know this off the top of your head because it's one of the few places I, I went and checked it out when I was there this weekend, um, but obviously I couldn't get in. Um, what what how many does that stadium hold? Probably eight to ten ish. Oh, maybe. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. So y'all had a big We're, electric crowd. They got a big yeah. Yeah, that's what's up. All right. So, you know, y'all take care of business in front of that crowd. Um, you know, don't, you know don't let down all keep your foot on the gas pedal but then you know you got you got the number one team luke and um you know we had four of the guys from wake forest on this show uh during the season um we actually had them pick preseason omaha so they actually made us right um we obviously knew the odds were were stacked against y'all with just how good their pitching how good their hitting was um i don't want to talk about losing i don't want to hit you with the negative basically i just want to like keep it real man you got to see them up close and personal for that in their house um obviously i saw them i went and visited them out in salem then i was in omaha for the whole thing just how good was that team from your perspective um i'd say depth is a big key word is you know some teams got a couple good guys and then it kind of falls off but their whole lineup their pitching staff all of them are great so it was that was a team where you couldn't just hold off. You were up by a couple in the ninth. You couldn't just – the game wasn't over. They fought to the very end. So. Well, what was funny is so many people spent the majority of that season talking about how good a hitting there was, but it was their pitching that was actually the scarier part. Yeah. They had a lot, a lot of guys there in the bullpen. So, so when, you, when you look back on that season, do you go, man, like watching what – you know, Wake Forest was able to do, do you guys go, man, we competed with the highest level. Like we, you know, moving into this next season, like there's got to be a lot of like um, just momentum that you have knowing, well, you know, I was able to compete at a high level against the best of the best. Now I'm going to the defending national champions and I can, like there's no fear, right? Because you're so well prepared exactly. last season as opposed to not having that experience and then going to LSU and then being like, oh man, shit, this is this is a little bit different. Like, can I do this, I guess? Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Definitely excited. I've been here for two weeks and the guys are great. The whole place is awesome, staff and everything. So I'm very excited to get started. 
Right, so before we get to LSU, I I, I got to talk about USA baseball. I mean, obviously, you know, there's a pride, you know, feeling. And Jim and I were talking about the Little League World Series. I was like, man, I get a sense of pride just for the American Little League World Series team winning, winning it all, much less like being able to play and represent my country. So I'll ask you, like, what is it like, you know, wearing the red, white, and blue and, and being able to represent for Team USA? It was awesome. Def- it was amazing. probably the best summer I've ever had, definitely. And you're there for, like, 21 days. You think, oh, man, that's a month in a hotel. It's long. But, like, playing with guys you've played with or played against, it was it was awesome. And then – Wearing USA on your chest, you can't really do anything better than that. So, so when when you talk about playing with guys that you played with or against, like what are what are some some of the guys you built great relationships um, that you maybe faced, you know, in the regular season? Uh, I drew Beam a lot. I hung out with him a lot. Played some golf with him and. We'll he's, a pretty, he's a pretty decent guy. I can't. What, what is it? Cool. What is it about Drew? That's the, like the standard answer for all USA Maybe. guys. Drew Beam is clearly, and he's a he's a two time guest of the show, so we get it. But like everybody loves Drew Beam. Yeah, man, it's he's easy to hang out with. It's simple, but he's chill and yeah. But we'll face him this year, hoping to say hi and everything like that. So that'll be cool. So last question on on Team USA baseball. So it's hard for me to picture like, you know, all of these guys being so good. And it's, what do you learn? Like, do you learn anything there? Or is it just getting the experience of being with like the best of the best? Um, I say you're always learning wherever you go, learning every day. I mean, some guys here know a lot more than me and I know more than some other guys. So when you kind of, put a group together that know something the other guy knows something you can all kind of you know collaborate and help each other out so you're constantly learning and getting better so yeah so the most interesting part about you playing team usa baseball is your name is in the portal and the twitter verse is going you know nuts they like want to know where you're going and they have to wait because you prioritize you know, wearing that red, white, and blue, which just makes it that much greater because they're going to have to wait whether they like it or not. And, you know, obviously a lot of, a lot of speculation. Um, my question for you is how much is that being talked about while you're playing USA or are you just completely focused on USA and you'll take care of that when it's over? Uh, that's what I said. I was talking with some teams and I said, I'm trying to focus on USA first. And after USA, I'll talk to, as many people like as long as you guys want me to so i was just really focused on usa a lot yeah no doubt and so um you know people were asking me you know what i thought uh obviously like i said we we interview so many players we cover college baseball they asked me you know what i thought it was going to take for lsu to get back to omaha and i said well jay's obviously killing the portal we got guys coming back we didn't even think we're we're probably coming back Obviously, a stud freshman class coming in, and and you can check, man. Daniel will tell you, uh, man. I said I think the key is we got to get Luke Holman to solidify that weekend staff and that depth. And um, 
And so, man, when I saw that you did, I actually predicted you did without having any kind of inside info. I just said, I, I got feeling Luke's coming here. Um, so, you know, ultimately, what was it that made you choose LSU? Um, definitely after the visits. I didn't really pick a team until after I visited. And when I came down here talking to Jay, and he's been like, as soon as I hit the portal, he was all over me and he liked me a lot. So, but I came down here, I visited, and it felt like home. I would say yeah and that's the best way to do it it seems to be the common answer um you know we had tommy white and paul Skeens, among other guys last year who who said the same thing and obviously being an lsu fan family from louisiana um louisiana does a good job of that baton rouge does a good job of uh just making you feel a home real family feel and so um that's that's a niche that that we got it's not even just winning um a winning culture but yeah we had we have that that home family feel and um, and we we use it to our advantage, obviously bringing in big big time guys like you. So um, the question that I was asked, you know, I put a question out there for people who, uh, wanted me to ask you of the LSU fan base. Um, they wanted to know how difficult it is, and it may not be difficult at all. But being that you played for Alabama and you are an SEC West rival, how hard is it going to a school, you know, that you've been competing against, and you know you know, not hated per se, but like, I mean, you, you obviously, you know, have been competing and had a kind of some sort of a dislike in a way. Um, I wouldn't say it's hard at all. I mean, things happen and yeah, I, I would say that. It, I well, looked, I looked because they at, we were, we were discussing, uh, has a Bama player transferred to LSU and obviously the, the, the transfer portal has only been around for so long. And obviously you, you had before where you could set a year, but I couldn't, I couldn't find it. I think you. I think you possibly could be the first guy in baseball. So set, set new things. Now let's let's get a second championship on it, and we'll we'll really uh we'll throw some shade at Bama. <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah, I would be the best thing. So hey, you know something I wasn't going to ask you, but you brought it up, so it's got me thinking. You said you're a huge Bama football fan. Is that going to be a conflict for you? Uh, no, not at all. But I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm kind of like the guy who. Like roots for players and NFL. If I get a fantasy guy, I start rooting for them. So it's going to be easy to start rooting for LSU football now. There you go. That or you're going to have to get a half and half jersey and walk in there. <laughs> but, uh, but looking at the pitching depth, man, our last episode was obviously Griffin Herring and Gavin Gidry. But man, when you talk about her, Jump, Nasty Nate, Lauer, Coleman, man, I could do this all day, less than names. Um, you sat there and talked about that earlier when you were talking about Wake. Um, Man, depth is a big deal, and pitching is what I firmly believe. People could talk about bats all day, but I believe pitching is the key to championships. Um, so just how excited are you to be a part of a rotation and, you know, a team that has so much depth like this in, uh, in its arsenal and in the in the pin and everything? Uh, I'm excited. I, I've played against them. I saw them throw, but now I get to actually, you know, work with them, talk with them, and hang out with them. So I'm very excited. All right, last question, and then I'll let Daniel play a game with you, and we'll let you get out of here being late. Um, you know, this one's not baseball-related, but you said you've been there two weeks, and, and I, I was hoping that uh, you would say that you, you'd been there so I could already ask this question. Man, are you already getting into the Cajun food? Have you been introduced to the Blue Store Chicken yet? T tell me what you got going on. Tell me you're eating good already. Uh, Blue Store Chicken is probably five minutes down the road, but um, Cade Woods – who's from Bama as well, and then transferred here. He's originally from Louisiana, so 
you know, he'd cook a lot of, you know, Louisiana food and stuff like that. So I've got, he kind of introduced me and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. If you're, if, if you're wanting to, uh, you know, put on some weight, you know, make, you know, eat you a lot of that Cajun food, but make sure you hit in the weight room, turn it into the right way with the protein. Hey, man, you, you bulk up in no time. Oh, yeah. That's what I'm trying to do. So. Get it. You know how you bulk up? With a nice pack of these Chinook <laughs> Cedary, original, or, you know, flavors yeah. from mild to wild, man. Yeah. USA. Yeah. USA. That's all they had there. Yeah, Drew, Drew Beam and um Hagen Smith, guests of this show, Daniel. They're uh they're two of the biggest ambassadors. So I know I know he got a hold of some of the Chinook seeds. Best seeds ever. And with that, this or that is brought to you by Chinook Cedary. Um, if you want the best craft seeds with the best flavors from mild to wild, go and get you a pack of the Chinook Cedary. Any flavor. I mean, Jim, what's your favorite? I'm an OG original guy, but um, most when I bring every flavor with me to a stadium, the Parmesan man is is what gets people going. I mean, how how could you not like it? I mean, or you could. What some people do is they like to do a little double dip, mix a little Parm with a little original. You know, no, just... the newest thing, the cinnamon toast, Daniel. Folks been putting it in their coffee, bro. Oh, son, yeah. let's go, let's go. But with that. This or that, it's an easy game, Luke, man. We play it with everybody. I give you two options. You choose one option or the other. Can't say both. Can't say neither. You down to play? I'm down to play, yeah. All right, let's do it, man. So first question, sausage or bacon? Uh, bacon, easy. Yeah, that's that's the only but, answer. I mean, yeah. When you walk in the door and someone's cooking bacon, as opposed to you walking in the door someone's cooking sausage, you can always turn down the sausage. You might not, but you could always turn it down. But you're never going to turn down bacon. Need the bacon. Yeah. Need yeah, to get that. Sure. For sure. All right. Tougher environment to play in. Bomb Walker or Bluebell Park? Uh, maybe Bomb Walker, I would say. Yeah, there's a lot of people. I mean, I, I think for us, that would be our – well, Daniel, Initial I put that on there reaction, because pitchers but... have said Bluebell could really get to you. Yeah, this, they're pretty jerky there. So we, <laughs> so we hear. So we hear. All right, Luke, PlayStation or Xbox? Uh, PlayStation. Ever since I was a kid, I was PlayStation all the time. So. What's your favorite game? My favorite game? I played Madden. I'm a big Madden guy for some reason. I never played MLB the show. Like, I never. All right. Well, never. I'm going to be in Baton Rouge plenty, whether it's the fall, the spring, or anything in between. Catch me on them sticks whenever you're ready, Luke. Awesome. I'm ready whenever you am. He plays with the Cowboys, the greatest football team on earth. And I'm not a cow- I actually hate the Cowboys, but, yeah, that's my team on Madden. Make it make sense. Yeah. But actually, at 920, I used to use the Cowboys, too, so. I almost was like, no, Jim, you cannot use the Cowboys. Oh, all I've been di- dicing up with talk. Tony Pollard, bro. I just, it's my guy. He's a Memphis guy, dude. All right, so when it comes to uniforms, obviously you're wearing some different colors this year. What colors are you looking forward to wearing the most, purple or gold? Ooh. I like that purple. I do love the purple. That that was one of the funniest Twitter debates that happened after last episode. Griffin says purple, and Gavin like about loses his mind because he's like, "How can you not go gold?" Which then spawned the people arguing about it on Twitter. And it's like, 
clearly, I mean, it's like a 50-50 thing between the LSU yeah. fan base. I mean, both is awesome, but I, I'd say I like purple a lot. So, all right. If you were left on an island with either your worst enemy or no one, which would you choose? Ooh. You can be with have- someone; it'll be your worst enemy, or you can be alone. Probably alone. Yeah, that's that's me for I sure. I was alone, so hanging out alone. Let me fly hey, solo. Don't get stuck on an island with Griffin Herring because my man said he wouldn't want to be alone because if he got desperate, he'd eat the other person. And the look on Gavin's face was was special. Yeah. That's... So your new teammate, watch out. He's a cannibal. I will. Yeah. All right. Would you rather own a massive yacht or a private jet? I'd say a jet. Go anywhere. The yachts take so long to get anywhere. So jet, you know, your own jet and you can go wherever you want. So nice. Yeah, that's that's how I feel. Jim is more of a, a yacht guy. I'm more of a jet guy. But I feel like there's no wrong answer. That's the beauty of that question. Yeah, like, there's no wrong answers there. But... Would you rather spend an hour in a walk in freezer or two hours in a sauna? Oh. Sauna. I hate being cold. Even though I'm up north, I just hate being cold. Yeah, I think that's that's the way you, to go. I, you're feeling two hours in that sauna right now in Baton Rouge. I know that. Yeah, it's hot here. It's very hot. So. All right, last question, and then we'll let you bounce. Would you rather win a million dollars or win a national championship? National championship. There's, there's no, no other option there. Yeah, there is. That's why I gave you two options. <laughs> That's I don't know who wouldn't pick. Well, it was it was I it, wouldn't. It was easy for Gavin to say if you put a million dollars in a bag in front of me and put my ring in front of me, I'd take the ring. And it's like, yeah, the million dollars in the bag yeah. isn't there in this scenario, brother. Right. No one's, no one's taking a national championship. <laughs> I mean, if if the trophy and the banner and the ring were there in right in front of you, and then so was a suitcase full of a million dollars, crisp $100 bills. I feel like everyone on planet Earth would take that suitcase. But, but that's, roll that's, out. that's the ring, though, Daniel. It's, you know, Obviously, you've seen the clips. I was behind home plate directly for LSU to win that championship, and I saw them boys dogpile, and I saw the emotions run through them, and that moment is not worth any price. I'd say the memories over the ring and stuff, definitely. But memories come with the national championship. Well, hopefully for you, Luke, you win a national championship this year, and then you get drafted at a high value to where it's over a million dollars, and you get both, brother. Exactly. Get it all. Get everything, and and don't look back. Get your (laughs) money. Get your ring. Get it all. Get it all. All right, Luke, man, before you go, anything you want to plug or promote? Uh, I don't have anything to promote, but thank you all for like letting me get on here and stuff like that. Absolutely. I'll help you out, though. If you want to know what Luke is up to on a Monday night, maybe he's recording a podcast, or on a Tuesday, maybe it's Taco Tuesday and he's having some, you know, a couple little tacos here and there, go on over to IG, Big Money H35, or if you want to follow him, throughout the season with the LSU Tigers going over to IG at LSU baseball. Luke, man, we wish you nothing but the best. There's a lot of big expectations on you. Just go do your thing. Hopefully you guys 
have a magical season again. You stay healthy and you're able to contribute at a high level for those guys. Awesome. Thank you. Absolutely. All right, we're going to take a quick, and when I say quick, I mean really quick, because we've got to talk headlines, but most importantly, we got some college football to talk about. So we're going to plug our sponsors, and when we come back, we got headlines for you. Do you like having posters and supporting your favorite athletes? Well, the Athletic Collection gives you a chance to do that with the best posters in the game. They have many different teams with many different sports. Myself as an LSU fan, I just got myself LSU baseball, LSU gymnastics, and LSU soccer posters to put up in the man cave. So get your posters today at the Athletic Collection, which you can find on Instagram and Twitter. Welcome back to the In Off the Bench podcast. Jim, we got some headlines, and obviously we got to talk college football. That's going to take precedent. Uh, We had week zero. This past weekend, looked like the big winners were USC, Notre Dame. Um, nothing really too much to write home about. I think the games went as as they were expected. I don't know. Did you see anything different than what I saw other than Notre Dame beating the crap out of a really bad Navy team and USC um, you know, doing what they should have done as well? I mean, in theory, USC did do what they what they should have done. This is one of them few times, Daniel, where I can't say that I got seven out of eight on a parlay, bro. I I missed like all of them. First start with Notre Dame because I got um Navy with the with the twenty one points, and I thought they might muck it up. Instead, Notre Dame decided they're gonna open a can of whoop ass. I took USC to cover thirty one. I thought. Caleb Williams on offense, and they did look good. Let's not get him mistaken. But I thought they were going to melee them folks, and they didn't. And so – I think it's really hard when, you know, early in the season when you have large spreads, unless you're like uh, Alabama, Georgia, you know, where you know your second line is just as good as anybody else, if not better than anyone's first line, because you, you start putting points on the board and then you start limiting minutes of that first squad. And, you know, I'm not saying USC's second squad isn't deep, but USC's second squad ain't Alabama's or Georgia's second squad and can roll out there and just throw up a, a shit ton of points, man. All right. Well, do you at least believe in trends? Because UMass had not won a opener on the road what did they say since 1994 or something like that was something just outrageous anyway and let me me look what this was yeah new mexico state so um i took new mexico state and they won 41 30 let's see if it happens to say when you put them on headline um no, I don't, but they uh they have been absolutely atrocious for a very long time. And so they come out when they're opener. Um San Diego State, I got right. Louisiana Tech didn't cover. Um I got Hawaii and Vandy. Uh they covered the over. So I I got like three out of eight, but um obviously betting doesn't mean things didn't play out. Um, Notre Dame, we knew would be a lot better than Navy. I just thought they would muck it up. And uh, USC, we know their defense. It's a pack – or not pack 12. It's, you know, 
whatever they are now, I don't know. Uh, tomorrow they'll be in the SEC, right? Like, yeah, I mean, they, time. Should, they should just be the pack, the P A A C C, the pack, the Pacific American Atlantic Coast Conference. <laughs> it's just, just combine them all, all three, all three. But, American but also- pack. Pack 12 or pack, what, three? Pack three, pack four? Right. But here would be my final thought on it. It was, when you say week zero, it was exactly that. It was nothing exciting, but it was the setting up for college football. It gave you something, even if it wasn't highly entertaining, it got you ready for what you know is fixing to come the next week. You had college game day, so everybody got their got their college football vibes, you know. We ain't got nothing close to fall weather yet, so those vibes ain't there. But nonetheless, everybody knows uh what's coming up this week and we got we don't have a lot of big ones, but specifically we got three really really good games in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, starting I mean, I'm I'm assuming starting Thursday night, you're you're look you're counting that as one of the the top 3 games. Um I'll say this it's probably a good thing that this game is at Utah because had it been in Gainesville, this game wouldn't be happening. You understand that, right? Hurricane. Hurricane. It's right there. It's it's pushing down hard. This time uh, tomorrow night, we'll be starting the the initial ascent into the Tampa Bay area. Um, it'll be an overnight storm between early late Tuesday night, early Wednesday morning. But, you know, anyhow, it's it's working its way up towards, you know, the bend where Gainesville is located. So um, uh, it's, it's, it's a good thing it's in Utah. The, the football gods are looking out for us because I think they're going to be able to get out of there and make it there for that game. And it'll, it will be a, a nice way. Hopefully, you know, I have power and I can I can tune in and watch that game. But Utah six and a half point favorite. I don't know how you really feel about that, Jim. To me, that seems. I don't know. Maybe I'm over, over hyping Florida being in in the SEC, but I feel like that's a that's a high number for this game. Yeah, and I mean, it took. It did take an amazing performance by Richardson last year for Florida to be able to pull that win. Um, you don't have him back there this year. As a matter of fact, Florida not even on top twenty-five, which I can't tell you the last time a season started where Florida wasn't in the top twenty-five. Um, and so I think that's the thing people aren't expecting a lot out of Florida. But if you listen to a lot of people talk, Florida, this is their chance. Even though Utah, I mean, they're ranked what they are, but we know they're not world beaters. Florida has to come out and prove that they're still one of the sec contenders and they have to do it in this game on the road against the utah team so this is their chance um if they go out there and lose that game regardless of utah's rank people are gonna go ahead and write florida off because um you know how it is in the sec you're not supposed to lose non-con games to nobody i mean look at lsu last year we're gonna get into the this upcoming game this year but I mean, when they lost to Florida State, obviously LSU ended up turning it around, but LSU losing to Florida State, to most people in the SEC's eyes, was inexcusable. Yeah, I mean, 
it's it's a different Florida team, and I don't know if they're good or bad, but here's what I do know. They're not in the top 25, and that's the first time that I can remember that happening to start the season. But all it's going to take is a win on Thursday night, and you know where they're going to be. Right. I just – the thing about Florida this year, and since we're not getting into Georgia or Tennessee, like, does it matter how much they – how good they look Thursday and how much they progress over the season. They're not beating either of those two teams. And so they're not going to be in the big conversation at the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, here's what it comes down to. I mean, I think those teams are, are head and shoulders better than Florida, but I think we all know that they will probably be in the game for a little bit. I, I, I don't ever expect like a big name like a Florida or an LSU. And I'll, I'll take you back last year. I don't want to take you back, but LSU, Tennessee, nobody predicted that score to be what it was. Right. You know, despite how good or bad one team or what the spread may have been, everyone was expecting a, a good game, um, probably a close game, um, probably a game where, you know, LSU might could have, you know, pulled off a, a win. You know, um, and anytime you get a Florida, I feel like people feel that way. They feel as though the name is going to carry a lot more weight than the actual talent on. Yeah, the I mean, tra- traditionally, they I mean, they've always been a problem. I think it's this is a year in which the West, the landscape, um, there are so many people having trouble predicting the West because Alabama possibly may not be your typical Alabama team. You don't know who's better of the two Mississippi teams. Will Texas A&M actually show up? You know, Arkansas has K.J. Jefferson, but they don't ever, you know, meet the expectations. Auburn brought in great recruiting class. Will it come together? Like the West, no one knows how to really shape it up, whereas the East, it's going to be – it's going to be – Georgia, Tennessee, and then even Florida, you no matter what, you expect them to fall in that third spot. South Carolina could do it, which that's who we're going to get into next. But it's not it's not like the West is. The West is very, very unpredictable, whereas the East, it's it's just the two teams and then everybody else just fall where they may. Yeah, I mean, I could be wrong, but looking at the East, when you have a really bad Florida team, it makes Georgia's road extremely easy but the one thing that is different is that there's a really good Tennessee team there with them well and that's that's what makes the fact you brought up Tennessee LSU Tennessee or Georgia don't play LSU or Alabama and so that game is everything this year because the the chances of I mean you can lose any game on any given Saturday but I mean just based on talent alone like those two teams shouldn't lose to anybody that they play. So it's, I mean, that game is going to be for the SEC East title more than likely because, you know, whoever wins it, you'd also not only have to lose one, but you have to lose two. Ain't none of them losing two. Like, like, yeah. it just ain't happening. Yeah. And if and I, I, and, and they're right, that's ranked as the number one when they did their preseason, what'll be the top games this year? Um, they know, I mean, the ESPN experts know that as well. That's ranked as the number one game. Oh, hands down. Because it's, it's to go if to the SEC championship. Yeah, I mean, and if it pans out the way we think it's going to, it should be. Um, you know, I, I look at, at Georgia's schedule. 
you know, I, actually, let's 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 go back. Let's backtrack a second. So we got to make some picks as we go through this. Obviously, we mentioned Florida and Utah to, to kick off headlines. So let's let's go there. Florida, Utah, six and a half point uh, favorite are the Utes. So who are you going with, Jim? If you were gonna put down on a parlay, who are you taking? I'm gonna take Utah, not because I think Florida's gonna win. Um, I don't know. It feels like just one of those games where if Utah wins, it's gonna be like a field goal. Like they, I don't think they're winning a touch by a touchdown. Yeah, I think I actually do. I think Utah is gonna beat them by like 14 points. I think it's gonna be like a 35, 31, 38. But you, but you know me. You said if I was going to bet, I wouldn't bet this because no. I, I, I don't bet on Florida, so it's not happening. <laughs> so you, you're, you would, you're going to take Utah to win, but for, but not. Cover. Yeah, so as far as our pick, I'm taking Florida. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. Utah wins by wins by a field goal. Hope their kicker is good. I hope I didn't just bet on somebody who can't make a field goal. I mean, I, I'm gonna take Utah to cover, and I'm gonna take them to win by 14. So then that takes us to North Carolina, South Carolina rival rivalry, wouldn't you say? North yeah. Carolina, South Carolina, battle of the, the Linus. And I and I think it's good because they're getting to be North Carolina's getting to be consistently good in football. They're both consistently good in baseball. And you know, South Carolina has had some really good years in basketball. And so you like I think it's good for college athletics when both these teams are good at all sports and you can create the rivalry out of it. It's you know, it's the battle for the Carolinas. Um, but I mean, I, I, would, I would say so. I mean, and, and I like it. You can sell it, spin it any way you want. Yeah. I mean, you, you start the game or you start the, the season off hot with a game. I like this because there's a lot of teams that, you know, will start the season off my team included with a team that you should, should win against. Um, not only are you are these guys starting the game the season off with a team that maybe they think they should win against, but as far as like analysts go, like this could go either way. Um, but also it's it has meaning to it outside of the win or loss. There's some pride there, there's some rivalry there. I like this type of game to open it up. I wish all these teams that have these rivalries would think about at least, you know, playing this as the opener. Um, I mean, think about just that Memphis, Arkansas State, just something that's really easy, really quick, that maybe has some meaning to it um, if they were to open up every season. Um, Don't get me wrong. I like when they open up against um, a team and get a win under their belt, but I also like the idea of having like this this underlying rivalry or some kind of meaning behind week one as opposed to just this cupcake that you should roll over. But that aside, um, South Carolina is a two and a half point favorite. So who would you take in this game? 
Um, you know, I think a lot of people got real hyped, especially after what South Carolina had did to Tennessee last year and maybe Spencer Rattler was going to pan out. But, you know, man, we did that little episode talking about uniforms. I just love North Carolina's color so much. I'm going to do like a girl would do in March Madness. I'm picking based on uniforms, baby. Give me North Carolina. North Carolina. Go and raise up. Take your shirt off. Twist around your head. Spin it like a helicopter. And throw that shit on the ground and stomp on it. <laughs> and then put it back on. And that's the way this game's going to go. It's going to be rough. It's going to be muddy. It's going to be brutal. But give me the Gamecocks. I think they're going to win by a field goal. Jim, you're taking Carolina. Colors. Colors, baby. And I'm taking it's Tar Hill Blue. I'm taking South Carolina by a field goal. That brings us to the big, the third game, the really the the biggest game, one of the biggest games, really all season, and I think it's because of the implications that it could have for the winner and the loser. Really, um, LSU. Florida State. Um, am I right on this? LSU is traveling. Well, no, they're coming to Orlando. So the game's in Orlando. Yeah, um, my only question would be, is it on Sunday night because with it being a neutral site, is there something that made it to where it had to be on Sunday night? I'm trying to figure out why they didn't make this the marquee Saturday night game. But, yeah. Because it's Labor Day. They're extending – the weekend they're trying to generate uh, they're trying to generate tourism revenue by having people come in on a Friday and leave on a Sunday and now it, it's it's actually probably going to pan out really well for them because people are going to travel and get out of the panhandle and probably come down early to Orlando if they're traveling for the game anyways uh, with this hurricane they're going to try it they're going to sit through you know the couple bands of rain that might be isolated through central Florida um, in the Orlando area but they're already going to be there. They're probably going to spend Thursday, Friday, Saturday. You know, that's, that's a ton of revenue. And then Sunday is the game. And then everyone has Labor Day travel back. Well, well, I told you the reason why I like it. And we're, we're obviously going to let you talk all things Memphis in a minute. But it gives me the opportunity to go to the Memphis opener and support the local Tigers and not miss LSU, obviously, um, and be able to, to do both. So I am perfectly okay with it. But, yeah. Um, they are a two and a half point favorite, even though uh neutral site, which is in Florida, which you expect more Florida State fans there, but you know how well LSU travels and to your point with the extra day maybe gives them the opportunity to do it. Um, but yeah, Florida State won this game last year. LSU's gonna be looking to get uh some vengeance. Um Jaden Daniels has become a much more um, complete quarterback since then, major changes. But Travis for Florida State looked amazing last year, so big expectations. I mean, we've talked about Norvell. He's really he's really got Florida State, um, you know, moving upward. And and this is a big – we talk about big chances for these teams. This is a big chance for him as a coach, right? We've talked about that. He While he does have them upward, he has still not made his stamp, right, since Memphis. And so um, big, big time for him, but um, – the big the big storyline coming into this, and I wanted to ask you about this, is Mason Smith. Um, you know, 
guys have gotten suspended for less time for doing more. Um, it's now something that is uh, not even illegal, but Mason, Mason Smith is being suspended for the game, our star defensive tackle for um, signing and selling autographs. Um, being that he had got busted for this prior to the rules changing, but the fact that the rules have changed, do you like that they're upholding this? So do I like that they're upholding it? I think if you break the rules willingly and knowingly, there should be consequences. However, this is a rule that I think is dumb to begin with. How can you tell me I can't write my own fucking name on a piece of paper or on a football or on whatever and somebody says, I'll give you $5 for that. And you go, <laughs> no, nah, man, I can't do it. Just can't, bro. Right. That is the and here's dumbest the, thing ever. And here's the thing. It's in theory LSU's own fault because they never could have seen it happening. He was going to serve this game last year, right? Um, he actually got out for the season in the Florida State game, therefore never having the opportunity. They were going to do it the next week against – southern you know right so like um they wanted him for florida state and so now here we are and he has to serve it and you're going against the florida state team that might be better than last year's florida state team so really backfires and you know how college football is in the sense of man a big massive defensive tackle that eats up space it's not a guy that you want missing in a big time matchup like this but of course that's the big storyline but i do not think you, you know what I think is crazy about this is that coaches can get suspended. Jim Harbaugh, they do a self-imposed suspension as opposed to a suspension or, or waiting for someone to give them a suspension. And he gets to come back for his first conference game. Like, it's like he got to choose what games he was going to be right. on. Like, that's pretty messed up. Like, okay, I'm sure they would love for Mason to – rambling the next game. week yeah. yeah the next week exactly like if if you're going to hold someone out like let's be real like you know table this suspension until it favors the kid and the program because nothing would be hurt had he you know no offense to grambling but like he's probably only going to play a half of that game anyways right so um, like all right suspend them there and then like NCAA should want their best players on the field against the best teams. Yeah. It's, and, even, just... it, and, and even though he's their best defensive tackle, I feel like they got enough, enough depth, but I feel like they're a better overall team. It, it really comes down to this simply because I, I feel good about the defense. Anyway, Daniel, if you get the good Jaden Daniels, we saw last year, you got a full stable running backs, healthy, you have a receiving core led by Malik Neighbors, who's just, I mean, awesome. I think he has a real shot at winning the Bolitnikov. There's no reason why I don't think this team should still win. I think Florida State, I think, is going to be legit. I think um, they're probably deserving of their ranking. But this LSU team, I've told you, and I've seen so many experts back this up to where I don't feel like a homer. This is a team that should be in the college football playoff. And so with that, I – I don't see Florida State beating them. I do see them keeping it close. 
I don't see LSU running away with this in no way, shape, or form. But, yeah, give me LSU to to cover the two and a half. And uh, I'm hoping Jaden Daniels is is that guy that um, we saw last year that they have in the Heisman race and uh, um, they get it done. But I will say this, just, you know, I said I think it'll be close. I hope it is close. Um, you know, some fans, they always want to see their team beat the mess on anybody. If I'm going to set up for a primetime Sunday night football game, I want a good game. Like, I don't want a game that, like, the second half, it's like, okay, we're up 28, and now, like, it's just whatever. Give, give me some intensity. I'm not saying you got to scare the mess out of me and it's going to come down to the last play of the game, but, man, give me give me a good, hard-fought combat. Prove to me that they're both top 10 teams in the Florida State. Um, you know, if, if they are on the losing end, as a team that's going to be a team to be reckoned with in the ACC. Right, right. So for me, I'm going to take Florida State by six. Um, and six seems like a lot, but it's really going to come down to, I think, a big play at the very end of the game um, to, to win it. But, you know, when you look at this game, this the winner of this game sets himself up for a college football playoff like spot. Um, obviously I think LSU's road is a little bit harder than Florida state's if they win it to stay in it um, just because of the gauntlet of teams that they have to play Florida state. I think they might get, if they end up winning this game, I think they get tripped up you know, not by like a Clemson that, you know, you would expect them to have a a, a good game with, but like an, a different team just because the ACC will, you know, you you can have some down weeks in the ACC and not play your best and still win. And the SEC you can't really do that. Um, you can't go into uh, Kentucky or a Tennessee or even a Vanderbilt for that fact and, and and not play your best and think that those teams aren't, aren't capable of beating you because they are. Um, but as far as LSU expectations, obviously you hit on it. Like if, if they are able to progress at the rate that they were last year under, um, under Kelly, then this year they do. I mean, expectation would be to take that step you know up and i don't know if that step up you know realistically is sec championship and a potential college football playoff berth or if that's a you know chance to win their way into it or i don't know you tell me as far as expectations where is it it can't be well you talked to you national championship or bust I think it is. And right now, the way LSU sports are trending year two seems to be the year for um, these coaches. But here's why what you're when you're saying it's such a big game. Here's the significance. When you when you win a top 10 matchup. If you run the table, but then lose to Georgia in the SEC championship or Tennessee. You're still going to be in the college football playoff. if not for any reason that you're not just because you're coming from the SEC, but because you'll have that win to table next to, you know, an Alabama and whoever else from the SEC West rises up with a higher ranking. This this is a win that will help any argument that you have if you were to lose the the SEC championship to make sure that you're in 
the the college football playoff. And same thing for Florida State on the flip side, right? Like if if you were to make it to the ACC championship and lose, you know, even though they're not the SEC, but if you beat a LSU team on your resume along with like a Clemson, so to speak, you know, you're you're in. It's like, you know, when NCAA teams, you know, basketball teams are trying to vie for that that number one overall spot and they start really breaking down resume. You don't really have that too much. I mean, you do, but like we know, like theoretically, the winner of the SEC championship game is going to get that number one overall ranking 99% of the time. So like it doesn't mean so much now. Um, but if they're battling for one of those five or five or six spots, which they could be, mm-hmm. like this game matters. Like when, when you, you when you win this team, game, like it's a big resume builder for for you over someone. Because in this scenario, like that five or six seed that LSU might get, they could very well be battling against FSU to get it. Right, and, and if and, they have that win, then it just gives them that head to head. If you look at the top 10, there's only one team in there that doesn't won't have to play a conference championship against a fellow top 10 team, right? So and that's USC. Like because Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, not but, for long. You, yeah, but they'll all have to hash that out. So USC's don't want to have that problem. So these other teams if you take care of business in the regular season, and then that other team ends up being your only loss. You're going to be in if you're any of those. Um, so only only USC has has that advantage. Um, so it it'll be interesting, so to speak. And and I'm really, if you want to know what I'm intrigued about outside of LSU and Memphis, it's definitely is Penn State. And we talked about this a little bit a couple weeks ago. Is Penn State going to be as good as their ranking is? Because if they are. I would like to see it not just be a Michigan Ohio State battle to see who's going to be in the CFP. I would like I would like to see some competition and I'd like to see them knock off one of them. I mean, there's there's a couple of analysts that, you know, I was looking at preseason, you know, or, you know, college football playoff predictions like as recently as, you know, a few days ago and there's a few that have Penn State right there in the in the top 4 and I think that's because they're doing exactly what you're saying. They're taking that step forward and they're beating those teams. Um, you know, with someone like Penn State, I think it all starts this weekend. I mean, I think this weekend is a, a strange game for them. You know, they're playing at home. They're playing at night. We know what that means, like, in the, the Penn State world. Um, but they're going to play a team that's not going to be afraid of them. Like, West Virginia is a physical team and they don't, like, they typically don't get bullied or pushed over by a raucous environment. You know, um, they have enough wrinkles, I think, to give Penn State a game. But inevitably, if Penn State is the team that people think they are and the team that we hope they are to give Ohio State and Michigan a, a run for their money this year, then they have to not only win this game, but win it convincingly. Right. Um, but I think one of the, the things that I'm – intrigued with is what direction does Tennessee go? Does Tennessee continue their their movement forward? Do they take a slide this year because expectations are a little bit higher or do they kind of hold steady to where they were last year? Um, You know, I think there's a, a lot to be answered when it comes to how good is Tennessee really? 
Um, obviously, that starts with this weekend against Virginia. I expect Tennessee to to fully take care of business and, you know, guys, you know, playing three quarters of the game and then rolling them out and probably winning by 30 points or so. Um, you know, for you, Jim, when you look at a Tennessee team with where they're at, where they're ranked currently, the schedule that they play, the expectations from last year moving forward to this year and what people think they can do, what is your outlook on Tennessee football? I think the only team that should be able to beat them is Georgia. Um, obviously, um, Milton at quarterback, and you got McCoy amongst other receivers. We we obviously had Dylan Sampson on here, who's a part of a three-headed monster, and then you even heard him say on here that it wasn't just him small and right, but there's guys behind them. Their defense improved from last year, which is one of their biggest problems um you know isn't isn't it crazy to have a guy like Hyatt and now he's gone and then it's no big deal like they don't think of it as being a big deal at all right and 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 the game that somebody would be listening to me right now and say well what about Alabama man I have listened to shows at nauseum and outside of Alabama homers uh, there are so many analysts that said this could be Nick Saban's hardest coaching job he's ever had at Alabama, and this is possibly a 3-4 loss team. And listening to everything they say, the fact that they don't even know who their quarterback is, and I know what Tennessee has, like it's hard for me to even think that they're they're better than Tennessee, and we just said anybody can lose to anybody, and Alabama has been Tennessee's you know, daddy for a long time until last year. But, I mean, I just think this Tennessee team's that good, and I think the Alabama team is not going to be that good. That's why I, I really think LSU has a real opportunity here. But I have big expectations for Tennessee, not because we root for them because, you know, Randy's on here, or not because we had Dylan Sampson as a guest. I really do think they're that talented. I think Heifel's got them going the right way. The the stadium is electric, you know, like, for instance, a game like South Carolina, they got to come to them this year. And after last year, they're pissed off. I think they're going to take them to the woodshed. And so I expect big things from Tennessee. That Tennessee-Georgia game is going to be everything, and it's in Tennessee. So, um, I mean, I, I look forward to that one just as much as any any LSU game. And so I expect big things. The question for you is the other side of the state. I'm going to be there. I just talked about it. Memphis, you know, I listen to local radio a lot. Um, I don't really like listening to them talk about Memphis football, Daniel, to be honest. I had nothing against our boys because um, I do like Jason, John, and Jeff and all them. I don't like their pessimism all the time. Um, they they don't get excited about the possibilities. They just talk about how we're not the team of five years ago and we don't have this person and that person. And they don't look at the the good possibilities. And just like they complain about conference realignment and all that, but right now your conference is because of the way it's set up with your team not being as stacked as it was five years ago, like they're talking about, you're you're you have enough talent to win this conference. That's the thing. UCF's not there anymore. Um, and so like look at it for the positive that it is. And you to me, I think they have the best quarterback in the conference. And that's not because he's an IOTB guest. Yeah, I think so. The to talk a little bit about the team from five years ago. When you talk about the team from five years ago, there were a lot of teams that weren't as 
there were a ton of college football teams that weren't as good as that team five years ago. That was one of the best college football teams in the country. And I mean, we thought they might. We thought they might end up, you know, making um, the CFP if things broke down. Obviously, Cincinnati ended up being the team to break that barrier. But yeah, I mean, in that season, the way things went, they would have had to go undefeated, and they were honestly a, a botched call at Temple away from maybe having an opportunity to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, anyhow, like moving into this year they should start the season three you know like they should win or they will win this week. after what you saw from navy you feel so much better right like- yeah, yeah i mean i didn't see anything that and i i think notre dame i think you know how we feel about notre dame right and i think two things you know when i when i look at that game and then i think about navy and memphis i go okay well when navy played notre dame this past weekend was navy just that bad or was notre dame just that good right and i will refuse to believe that notre dame yeah, is exactly. that good they'll, so they'll they, they, find a way into this college football playoff conversation when it's all said and done and we know what'll happen if they find a way in right so then it's like all right well navy must be that bad and they did. They didn't look that great. They got a new head coach. Um, they're they don't do any NIL, so like, it, it's the the odds are really stacked against them. I don't know, you know. But me saying that it'll be uh, a dog fight against. So them. so look at it. So like this, when you talk about those first three games, and you, you say you should win. So when we talked about LSU, Florida State, you want to schedule those kind of games off the rip because the the goal is a national championship, right? With Memphis, the goal for any team is a national championship, but they obviously know that that's not something that's on the table for them. What they want is to find themselves in a New York New Year's Six Bowl and winning their conference. And so with that, you don't have to have marquee games right out of the game. You can have a Bethune-Cookman, and you can have an Arkansas State Revival. You have a chance with these three games, especially with the way Navy looked, to fine-tune anything that you need to before you play an SEC team on the road. Correct. And 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 that's why I said I think this this weekend's game, I think Memphis will win handily, which they should. It's a FCS school. They shouldn't have any problems. You know, they then have Arkansas State. Uh they then, you know, have Navy. So they, they got uh Bethune, Navy, Arkansas State, first three weeks of the season. They should be three and oh going into arguably the next three toughest games on their schedule, which is Boise State, Missouri, Tulane. Um, you know, I think best case is that you, you win all six. Worst case is that you win, you know, four of those six. If you're going to draw, if you're going to, or not draw, but if there's one on those three that you want to win, it's the Tulane one because that's the conference one that matters. So, yes. Um, but I think the Boise State game matters too. No, it, ma- it matters because we were talking about New Year's Six Bowl too because that's, right. that's their overall goal. You can't, you can't lose that game. You could – you could go with one loss and win your conference and find your way in there. If you have two losses, you're yeah. not. It doesn't matter if you win conference or not. You're getting. You're not getting one. Right. Um, is Boise? You know, I haven't seen. Is Boise State like? 
we talk about five years ago. I mean, I remember when Boise State was the contender every year. Like, are they any good at all? I haven't even seen. I mean, they're they're the team that a lot like a Memphis. If you if you mess around, they're gonna beat you. Gotcha. If you give them opportunities, they're gonna beat you. Well, what I love about Boise State and Tulane is is they're coming to us, man. Like. And I understand we don't have some massive home field advantage, but you like it better than going to their house no matter what. Oh, definitely. I mean, could you – like, I don't like our chances at all going all the way to Boise, Idaho and, and setting up <laughs> On shop. On the Smurf turn, no. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, but, yeah, I do like them coming to us. That that makes it That two-lane game, I'm, I'm excited for it. Obviously, I told you I'm going to that one too. Um, man, you talked about potential possibilities – this city needs Daniel. We talk about buying into the team and the program. This city desperately needs them to be five and zero going into a game. If I'm not mistaken, it's Friday night, which is the reason why I'm able to go to it. A Friday night matchup, so it's not conflicting with any other college football. So if you're a if you're a local person who maybe Memphis is your secondary team, like me. Right where oh well Tennessee plays or Arkansas plays or Mississippi State plays whatever that's that's out the out the window Friday night game with five and zero Memphis and and you hope really in the scenario Tulane who's ranked twenty fourth right now is five and zero also you have a undefeated showdown with a ranked team in your house on Friday night that's not even just going to fill up the Liberty Bowl that's going let to me, have the nation watching let me let me let me give you some more. Fun facts on this. Tulane is ranked 24th. All right. Hypothetically, if they are undefeated going into this game, that means they've beat South Alabama, they beat an Ole Miss team, they beat a Southern Miss team, they beat a Nickel State team, they beat a UAB team. All of those games they should win outside of the Ole Miss game, but let's say they do. Like the implications of this game now. On a Friday, and guess what the date is? Friday thirteenth. Yes, sir. Friday the thirteenth, October thirteenth, seven p.m. Like, just thematically and like marketing, like you could do so much with this. Like, we got to wear is, black jerseys, right, on that night. Got to. Oh, I mean, I I think if you don't do something spooky, <laughs> then. Something's not right. And I think and I think we obviously say we were undefeated, and you mentioned that Ole Miss game. If if you were to choose and you don't want them to lose it, the losses from each team would only be the Missouri Ole Miss, right? That way it's just fine. They didn't lose to somebody they shouldn't have, and they lost to SEC teams, and I think it would still be – I think people would, on a Friday night who love football would say, hey, man, we got two American Athletic Conference contenders. I think Tulane would probably still be ranked if that was the only loss and say – Hey man, a really good Memphis team at home on Friday thirteenth. They're wearing blackout jerseys, you know, like Tulane coming to town. Like, yeah, well, this... I think I think what it does is if it's a really good game, you can make the argument for okay, well, the American Conference Championship could be a repeat of this game, and if it's a good one, you go okay. I I'd like to see that again, you know. Yeah, and the, and and I'm looking at their schedule. I'm just. Memphis would really have to would have to really suck against somebody that they shouldn't because let's say they lose to Missouri 
let's say they lose any two of those three, right? Missouri, Boise State, Tulane. Dude, they don't play UTSA. Like, Charlotte's garbage, man. South Florida's garbage. North Texas is garbage. Like, Gooby's garbage. Like, and I know Memphis has lost to garbage before. Like, but I just, I, that's why I feel more optimism than these local Here, guys. Yeah. I mean, outside of those games, your toughest game is an SMU team at home. Um, I like my chances there. You know, the, the I think one, your floor is one, three. It has to be the floor. I mean, I, I, I think. Uh, so I'll go through the schedule, and I've done. I said, this, eight, I, said uh, I said I said I said eight and three. Excuse me, they play twelve. Nine and three. Excuse me, nine and three is your floor. Yeah, I think eight and four is the is the absolute bare minimum. What's What's sad is that I think eight and four uh, gets Ryan Silverfield to keep fired, and you and the the. Crowd. Oh, I don't think I don't I don't think it. Oh, does. you think it keeps him around? I know it gets you in a bowl game that nobody's going to care about. That's a fact. Yeah, um, I think. I think we're three and zero going into Missouri. I think we lose Missouri, um, even though I think realistically we have a shot to go there and play well. And if some things defensively go our way, we can win. Are you going to watch if you have a chance? I know schedule binding everything. If you get a chance in the first three weeks to watch Missouri on TV, are you going to just to to, to scout, do your own scouting? I mean, yeah, if if I'm flipping through um you know, ESPN plus and I see Missouri on there against I don't know, Kentucky or something. I they probably they wouldn't even, even they, they won't even have yeah. SEC games yet, so yeah. Missouri against I don't know, Missouri State. Yeah. Throw that out there. Yeah, I'll I'll tune in. But that I mean that's kind of the thing. Am I really if they're playing someone like Missouri State or you know, are we really going to get a true well, test? Well, let's let's look while you're get while you're going through the schedule. I want you to keep going through the schedule. I'm going to pull up Missouri's while you're doing it, and I'm going to see if there's potential um, for the overlook because somebody behind them is scary. Because you yeah, know there's always I, a possibility. I think you know Bethune is a win. I think Arkansas State's a win. I think Navy is a win. Those are. Uh, three, three and oh, first three games of the season. Oh, they um, screwed us, Daniel Vanderbilt, who they got after Memphis. Ah, bum, bum, bum. that's all right. But Missouri, Memphis, I think you know, it's a close game. I think Missouri, let's say they win. Um, I don't think Memphis is going to go undefeated, so they got to lose at some point. I think they beat Boise State and going into Tulane, I think they're five and one. And I would argue to say that five two lanes probably going to be five and one possibly as well. Even though I could see them beating Ole Miss, um, Memphis then takes on UAB. That's I to me they go to UAB, but I still think that's a win. They go to North Texas, that's a win. They're playing a South terrible South Florida team at home, that's a win. So I mean we're looking at. I think they beat Tulane too. So that's, you know, six and one, seven, eight, nine and one. Charlotte, SMU, Temple. I don't see how they lose those three games. I don't. But let's say they do. That puts them 11 and, and one. American champion. 
unless Tulane runs the table. Right. You know, either way, they're going to play in a championship game with a chance to. And, and that's do why I don't special. understand why. I understand my temper and your expectations, right? But they actually sound like they think it's going to happen and and they don't have any confidence. I don't. So, on the, the one thing that's crazy about this season is when you look at the schedule, you can go, I can see them winning every one of these games. To you know, me, the scary one, scariest one, isn't even Missouri. I think it's, I think it's Tulane because, by all indications, I think um, it's Temple at the end of the season, just because like that's they're, a game they're like, a thorn in your side. But I, right. I as far as a talent standpoint, it's Tulane on there. But we have the advantage of having them at home, like I said. And if we do what we need to do beforehand, if you can get a packed, raucous crowd, you know that that changes everything. I. The the one thing about the Tulane game that that I don't think too much about, you know, is just the fact it's your first conference game. It's on a Friday night. You're probably going in with a really good record. They're going to be ranked most likely. Like, if you can't get up for that game, like, then what? Like, what are we doing? You know, like that's arguably like the the game that is going to mean the most. So, like, if you can't get up for that one, like, what are we doing here? So, I mean, outside looking in, I think five years ago, if you would have said, oh, the Tigers have a chance to do something special. Yeah, but then when you start breaking down the schedule, like, you look at the Houstons, you look at the UCFs, even, like, the USFs at that point and go, I don't know, man. And we got an SEC game. I just, I just don't know. This schedule right here, I don't do that too. I look at this schedule and go, like, this is a lot, this should be a lot of wins. It really should be. And maybe that's my expectations for Memphis being higher, or maybe my belief that they're better than what they are being, you know, in the clouds. But I just, I think, you know, and I'll leave it at this and we can move on to our, our college football playoff predictions. But I, I think Memphis should win a lot of games this year and Ryan Silverfield should not have to worry about his job this year because of the successful season that he had based on you know the schedule but looking at things Jim college football playoffs six teams who you got in is this year that we expanded already I got six. I got six on on the docket. Man, I got to keep up with the times. I didn't know we already expanded out. Um, I'm just going to trade my whole way of thinking. Well, then, give me Georgia, LSU, Ohio State, USC, Let's go ahead and let's go Florida State. Let's put that whole scenario that we talked about into play. And then that gives me who do I think is the second team from the Big Ten, Penn State or Michigan. And I'm going to go with that thing, that scenario that I hope for. Also. I hope everything we just talked about comes to fruition. Give me, give me Penn State in there. So you got an ACC, two Big Ten, 
two SEC, and then USC from the would you call it the P A Triple A C D F G? It's the P Double A Double C, the Pack, <laughs> the Pacific American Atlantic Coast Conference. It's got a little ring to it. I like it. I like it. All right for me, and this is on the fly. I'm gonna go with. Oh man. Oh, buddy, 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 buddy. Give me Georgia. Definitely. Give me Penn State. Give me. And this this is going to be. I don't know how this pans out, but give me. Give me Florida State and give me USC. Give me LSU. Oh, man. So this number six is between Ohio State, Michigan. And Tennessee. Hi. And and I and let me be clear on that one. I picked, I picked Georgia. I did on my actual like predictions on Twitter. I picked LSU to or LSU. I picked Tennessee to beat Georgia and be there. This is one of those hedging my bets. I'm either going to be right on Twitter or I'm going to be right on our show. So <laughs> you you like that? Yeah, yeah, that's I don't even I don't know. Typically you're right on the show, but I think being right on Twitter might being right might, on Twitter's better it might because because if you're wrong on you Twitter, busy. they'll it call you out. You yeah, if you're wrong on Twitter, everybody will go back and find that tweet. So I, I think the hard thing comes down to all right, so if you got three teams, Tennessee, if you got Michigan, and you got Ohio State. Obviously, if Penn State's in, that means they win the big, the big Ten and the championship game, right? So Ohio State and Michigan, that means one of them is lost to Penn State and Ohio State or the other. Or they lost to or they beat Penn State but lost to the other. So it's kind of like this coin flip flip, you know, like scenario that you don't really know. And then you got Tennessee who all right, if LSU is in, that means, you know, what does that mean for Tennessee? How did their schedule rank? Obviously they didn't win the SEC because Georgia's in and they're not. So I'm trying to value, well, is a one or two loss Tennessee team better than a one or two loss Ohio State Michigan team? What would you think? So like right now, like on, on like given rankings, no, that 
one or no. one or two lost Tennessee team would not be as good as a one or two lost Michigan no. Ohio State. But but the scenario but later really, later really in the season it it, it could the, be. The, I mean, man, that's gonna be a big thing. Let let's say okay, let's let's throw that scenario out that Alabama ends up falling off, right? Three, four losses like they say they could be. And so with that, and, and then Florida isn't that good. Tennessee's not going to have enough on their resume that if they come in with a one loss and they didn't even play in their SEC championship to be able to take the loser of that Big Ten championship game, they won't have an argument to stand on. That's that's going to be a problem. Because that's the thing, for for those teams – for the other Big Ten team and the other SEC team in the the East, you're going to need a resume that stacks over that Big Ten team. And I don't know that the SEC East teams, that it's going to be good enough. But I would love to see, for our rooting interest, and I think it's good for college football, I would rather see – and. Frankly, I don't want to see a team possibly winning a third time in a row. I would love to just see Tennessee knock off Georgia, LSU win the West, beat Tennessee in the SEC title, and then both of them are your two SEC teams, and Georgia's on the outside, and then you have your two Big Ten teams. That means Georgia would have to lose to Tennessee in the regular season. They would have to lose to a – who else? You don't think they – you don't think if all right, so if Georgia loses to Tennessee and LSU and runs the table, all right, and Tennessee's only loss comes to SEC championship, those two are gonna get in. You think that they would put a third SEC team in and piss everybody off? The two time defending national champions with one loss. Yes, I a hundred percent believe. I mean, Georgia it feels like they that. would, but man, God, didn't I almost think that they would th- we're going to end up with a 32-team playoff because people are going to be pissed because the SEC gets so many teams in. I almost believe that if that scenario happened, that Georgia wouldn't have anything to worry about. They would be a top-four seed. <laughs> I, I, I believe that just because of the value placed on them like, as a team. Let me ask you a question. Do you like anarchy? I love it. So do you want so, – I want so, so for the sake of this argument – you want that you would like if that happened and then Ohio State and Michigan's only loss was them to the other one or Penn State one however that plays out two of those big 10 teams the only loss was to the other one and so you have undefeated one loss and so you have them and then USC runs the table and so somebody's going to be look somebody's got to be left out i mean that's if you want change Alabama Georgia, Ohio State, one of those three teams needs to be left out. Then you're going to get an uproar. Then then you might get something done about it. But we're not even giving the Big 12, like, any shot, like, or, like, a Washington or, a, you know, we're, we're all about USC, but we've said nothing about a, a Washington team. We've said nothing about a Utah team. We've said nothing about a TCU team that was just there. Um, so, I mean, think crazy things could happen. I, I, I do think 
there will be three. I think there's a good chance for three this, SEC This is teams. the last team I'll bring up, and I'll ask you just to ask you. Um, I don't even want to deep dive into it. If Texas beats Alabama week two, no. are we going to look more at the fact that that maybe is a Bama problem or Texas may get in this mix? They're going to call that a Bama problem. <laughs> Unless Arch Manning is leading the Longhorns because – Something that happened at Quinn Ewers and, and the backup quarterback is making more than the starting quarterback for a couple NFL teams. Just want to put that out there. That's and in college, that's wild. Ah. NIL is wild. I, there's so many good things about it, and there's so many terrible Trey, things about it. The Cowboys just picked up Trey Lance, and I know for a fact that Arch Manning's making more than Trey Lance is. That's and Trey Lance was just a starter for the 49ers until this guy named Brock Purdy came came bumbling in. <laughs> but all right, man, let's let's get off college football. Let's talk Little League World Series. Um, obviously, the the Little League World Series tournament as a whole is just a phenomenal job that they do. Um, but you know, culminating in you know a California team. You know, taking on a Curacao team where you get everything that you could possibly want. Like as a kid, you you picture yourself, you know, bottom of the ninth, you know, in the World Series trying to win a game. And then here you are in a Little League World Series and you have the opportunity for a walk-off. So well, think about this. Before you get to that moment, Daniel, they have a 5-2 lead. Man, you got you got to get through the stressful situation of thinking, dang, we just blew this. But if you don't have that happen, you don't get the moment that you're fixing to talk about. Yeah, I mean. If they just win 5-2, what kind of fun is that? Yeah, I guess you're right. I mean, you you want the drama, I guess, for TV purposes. But, like, I don't think, like, I don't, I don't know. No, there's not a – I don't think as as a coach – and maybe as a player, you're like, man, I can't wait to win this game six to five with a walk off. Um, but maybe you do. But I feel like as as a coach, you're definitely like, I could definitely rather win this game, you know, five to two, and like, or you know, like with a nice little comfortable. comfortable and do, and do you know what my favorite part of the bomb is when I when I watch that video clip back? It's not that it's a no doubt bomb. It's the it's. When we talk about kids' game and we talk about Little League World Series and the excitement, he literally had to be, like, reminded that he had to run the bases because he's over there outside the first baseline with his helmet off, jumping up and down. Like, hey, kid, you got <laughs> you to go run the bases. You got to touch all the bases. Yeah, you can't. You can't. But, I mean, he was so excited, man. He's a kid, man. He just had the biggest moment. Like, he wasn't even – like, he, we talked about that. We talked to these athletes, and they talk about blackout. This kid probably had the blackout moment. Like, he doesn't even know where he's at. I mean, you know what the greatest thing is? is just watching how excited – the other, you know, the his teammates are and just the team as a whole, like, you don't, like, you know, even college kids get excited, like, but, like, the innocence and the just, it's just a different feeling watching those kids, you know. I mean, that second pitch, he blasts it to left and just 
crushes the ball and like I don't know, it's just really a really cool and you, you feel for the Curacao team, but you also you know feel for the California team because they they almost gave it away and they were able to fight back. Plus, I mean, what's silly and this is the craziest thing is even in Little League World Series, I feel a sense of pride when the US wins. Oh yeah, abs- absolutely. You guys are you know, I was just thinking about I just randomly thought about a movie when we talk about because once you get to the college and adult and it loses kid factor, I start thinking about the movie Little Big League where he's teach because remember they're all serious and they're pricks and he teaches them to be kids and have fun again. Like because that's what at the end of the day, what it's all about. Like, and that's actually why this Braves team, um, when you watch the highlights, because obviously I don't get to sit around and watch a lot of the games they're winning a lot and maybe that's part of it winning is fun these guys are having fun with each other it's it's enjoyable it's enjoyable to watch they're not acting arrogant and prick like they're 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 absolutely having a blast with each other yeah it's it's you've heard me say it before and baseball is a kid's game and if you start taking it more serious than you know, obviously it is a job for these guys and there's a level of seriousness that goes with it. But like you at the, at the, at the crux of this sport is a kid's game and you got to win together. You got to lose together. But when you win, you got to make sure you're having fun doing it. And even when you, when you lose, you got to enjoy the people that you're grinding with. And, you know, I think that's the tough part with professional baseball as opposed to you know, little league baseball or even college for that point, but college is still getting to a point where it's now becoming a job for some of these guys. And it's, you know, we hear guys talk about it, stop being fun and having to find themselves and reinvent themselves and go somewhere different. Um, you know, for, for the most part, like once you're on a big league club, you're on a big league club. Like you just can't decide the next season that you want to leave and get out, if, especially if you're under a contract. Um, but yeah, the Braves look like they're having a lot of fun. I mean, obviously, winning look, games helps. I'll I mean, tell you this: our run guest, differentials two hundred and nineteen. Our guest um, hit another bomb tonight, Austin Riley. And when they win this game, because they're up nine to four in the seventh, when they win this game, Daniel, they will be forty games above five hundred. Eighty-four. Yeah, they'll be eighty-five and forty-five. Eighty-five and forty-five with. A whole month of the season left. I mean, is... they got a 12 – they'll have a 12-and-a-half game lead on the Phillies. I mean, they can have a couple bad weeks in a row and it won't even matter at, at some point if they decide to, like, cool off. Well, I mean, they're taking on a terrible Rockies team to finish out the month, and they start with the Dodgers. September, their first set is Dodgers. Then they got a terrible Cardinals team. Pirates team, then a Phillies team, and then a Marlins team, and then Phillies, Nationals, Cubs, Nationals. Very winnable games. Um, You know, they should win well over 100 games. You, You understand that, right? Yeah, and I was looking. So there's like four teams that are in a tier by themselves. Um, Baltimore, Tampa Bay, Atlanta, and the Dodgers. And I bring that up to you for a reason. The run differential and their records and everything, 
I told you about how bad my football parlay went. Well, I went nine for ten in baseball. So it was the norm. It was going to pay $9,000, Daniel. The Dodgers, who have won seven of the last ten, who are 80 and 49, mm-hmm. they're the ones that screwed it up. They they lost to um, – who did they lose to? Uh, Boston, who is an amazing 69 and 63 and 13 and a half back in their division. And they had a 5-3 lead going into the seventh, so I was feeling really good as they had to cover one and a half, and then they lost 7-5. So shout out to the Dodgers. I now hate you even more than I already hated you because I could have won $9,000 on 20 bucks, but I didn't because of you. Wow. Did, did you know the fourth worst team in baseball is the St. Louis Cardinals? I did. 20 20 games under 500. That is minus the, 78. Uh, that is the epitome of underwhelming and underperforming for the guys that they have on that field. Well, and that's the thing, right? So when you look at who's worse, Oakland, right? We know their payroll, right? Like, that, they just got eliminated from playoff contentions. Yeah, but I mean, we know that the we probably Goldsmith and Arenado probably make more than their whole team combined. That's what that's what makes this bad. Um, obviously, the Yankees. I think the Yankees have taken away people talking about the Cardinals. Honestly, because I haven't heard enough people talk about the shortcomings of the Cardinals because they're too busy talking about how astronomically bad the Yankees are. But I did hear they did drop out a stat which shows the consistency of the Yankees and Cardinals. Um, When they both fell into last place in their division, how how many ever weeks ago, it was the first time they were both in last place uh, at the same time since, like, it was the 80s, Daniel. Jeez. So it it really speaks to the Cardinals and the Yankees are never terrible. And somehow this year, both of them with the payroll that they got are atrocious. You think Aaron Judge is, you know, Aaron Judge could have went to, to the Dodgers or um, the Pod, even though the Padres hadn't been that good. I'm trying to think who the third seeder was. It was the Dodgers, the Padres. Who was the other team looking to pony up? Was it? Was I feel like it's probably Houston. The Giants. Yeah. Either way. All teams in a much better situation than Yankees right now. Maybe wishes he would have got out them pinstripes. I don't know, man. Your boy Shohei. I don't know what's going to happen with him. So I did a post the other day, and it's relevant to our show. We just had Gavin Gidry talk about the wear and tear on your body when you have to do both. We had Jack Brannigan do the same thing. We had Austin Riley do the same thing, right? Like, uh, I had a whole list of guys who who pitched and hit in college. Skeens was asked by the Pirates, and he had texted me this. I had this information before they even released it out um, on social media. Um, Because I was like, do you plan on hitting? He's like, they've already asked me if I'd like to hit. I'm not interested. He's like, I just want to focus on pitching. He said, it it requires too much on my body. 
So literally you have all these guys and I understand they're not as good as Shohei. That's what somebody will say to me, but these are guys who are extremely talented. I mean, Paul Skeens was the number one pick in the draft and they say the wear and tear in the body, it's too much to do both. And so when you see Shohei get that injury and they talk about him wanting to still do both and battle back, dude, it is hard enough to try to battle back from, a UCL tear and pitch in general, but you want to do it while batting and playing the field. I just, I don't see it. Yeah. I think, um, I think there's going to be a long talk with him as far as like, what, what does he want to do moving forward? Um, he's elected not to have surgery right now. Um, and explain to me why, Daniel. They're in second to last six games under 500. That, that, like, you can't justify to me any reason to not go ahead and do it, especially if you do plan on pitching again, which is what he said. I I think there, part of it is it's money-driven, and he's trying to figure out possibly, like, well, if I can hit, then I can still get some of these bonuses that – are in my contract, but if I don't, then I know that that's not an, an option. Um, you know, obviously he's trying to sign a, a half a billion dollar deal, which, you know, Aaron judge just did that. And he, he's a hitter and he doesn't pitch at all. So like this was upwards of, you know, after everything is said and done close to a $1 billion deal with you know just the bonuses the incentives the um marketing and and you know advertising money that he could get so i i don't know i think that this is a a a strategic play on his part and somebody has directed him that he needs to do this but i do understand like all right cool like if you're gonna pitch again just pack it up and do it now. That way you're, you can be good to go. But I think the reality is, is whether you did it now or you did it at the end of the season, you're still going to miss all of next season. And I think that's what he's trying not to do is get to a point where maybe he can, I don't, I don't know. I honestly don't know. Because you would think that if he has his surgery and he starts rehabbing after the surgery, like when is he able to start swinging the bat again? Right. Because that's that's what I would want to know is, okay, well, if I know I can't pick up a baseball and start pitching off a mound for eight months, what does that do about swinging a bat? Can I swing a bat in four months? Is that okay? Is that allowed? Um I think there's just a lot of questions that are still left to be answered. And I still think they are still probably trying to find the answer to those questions before they make a decision on what they want to do with a guy who's worth, you know, three quarters of a billion dollars, <laughs> you know? So. Yeah. That, that was the sad part. They're saying, you know, if he's not able to do both, he could have set a record of five to $600 million and it may be more like 400. It's like, Oh, Damn, not yeah, right. only, not not only four hundred. No, fuck! I feel so bad for the guy. All right, man. Let's go on to people we don't feel bad for. 
college soccer and volleyball. Give me an update, dude. There's a lot, a lot going on. Well, before we get into that, I did want to make a baseball note, um, because uh, of our guest, you know, and because I mentioned his name a second ago, Daniel. People are amazing. Paul Skeens, absolutely electric, ridiculous. Um, throughout the college season, um, goes and pitches in the FCL, lights out. Pitches low A, lights out. Um, gets moved up to double A. And he goes only uh, an inning, and he and he gives up four runs, um, has two strikeouts. But I watched the video, and and I saw people saying this, and there wasn't no homers, there wasn't no hard. It's actually just like you know grounders through the hole, right? But that aside, even if he gave up bombs, they're like, this is what happens when you play against real competition in the double A. And your fastball isn't going to work here. And I was reading all these things, and it's like, these people can't be serious, right? Like, they don't actually believe that. And all the dude did was show his Hey, bro, your 100-mile-an-hour fastball, that's not going to get it done here. But they (laughs) – I don't have the the number in front of me, but they said the amount of innings he's pitched this year. Like, give him – they're just kind of seeing what he's got. But give him a whole off season to rest, recoup, you know, work on some mechanics, weight room, all that stuff, and come back and let's talk about it. But if you think that Paul Skeens is a bust because of one double A performance, you're reaching way too hard, and you're clearly an SEC fan of a team he beat, or you're a Wake Forest fan, or Tennessee, you know, whatever. Like he obviously pissed you off along the way. If you actually because you can't be a baseball fan and think. That and you know who's not sweating this at all? Paul Skeens. Paul Skeens probably slept just freaking fine that night. Next to Olivia Dunn at that. Um, there's a whole nother story. But like it was just it was just amazing. But aside from him, all our guests are just killing it. The one guy who was struggling really bad, my favorite guy, Braden Jobert, um, ends up hitting a uh go-ahead uh, RBI single in the eighth inning. Um was really needed. He's batting um in the 200s so good for him but you know Lipscomb Gilbert Cruz dude uh these these guys are just absolutely killing us so shout out to the baseball guys but to the soccer ones um I do have I'm gonna start with the bad info first and by bad info there's a tie I gotta tell you B Franklin number number eight Arkansas going against number 12 Notre Dame at at their house that's her old school, if you remember that she beat them last year, so she got the first bragging rights, but ended in a tie, Daniel. I know you hate to see it. Number eight, number twelve, no winner. But that's but Arkansas is legit. Um, they are going to be better than they were last year. B has been doing her thing. She actually, ironically, Daniel, she had last year, she had something like 12 goals. They were all via header. She actually scored her first goal for Arkansas via her foot. It's a pretty, wow. it's a pretty wild, it's a pretty wild stat. So, finally, just started using her feet. Yeah. So, the, so there's that. Um, Mississippi State remains undefeated. LSU baby Taylor Doblace, SEC Player of the Week. They go into Austin and knock off. Number seven ranked Texas, baby. Let's get it done. 
or no, I said seven. Alabama's ranked seven when I went to Memphis. Number nine ranked Texas. Um, horns down. Shout out to Taylor SC player of the week. Then they had another game this week where she scored again, and our guest Rami scored. So shout out to them girls from LSU. They said Mississippi State's doing their thing. And then we get to Memphis, man. Well, I went to that game last night. First up, shout out, man. We talk about grow the game. Alabama, Tuscaloosa, they packed out the soccer stadium. Um, They actually lead the nation in soccer attendance, I found out. Um, They announced it over the thing. Um, Absolutely electric. Of course, there was obnoxious fans that knew nothing about soccer. How How many people are there? I'm not knocking this. I'm just curious, like, what, what's a big – good. Um, They were obnoxious. There was a lot of fans that were obnoxious. You could tell they're there to root on Alabama sports but know nothing about soccer. Um, but Memphis, um, I can I can look you in the eye and say that Memphis outplayed them. Um, We had we had more talent, and, and they they came out very timid. You could tell they were playing on the road in a in, – against a number seven ranked team. Um, but once they found their footing, um, they had more shots on goal. There's so many times I thought we were going to score and take the lead or even tie down the stretch. But, um, you know, they used replay multiple times in the game to – man, this is my blow-the-whistle segment. And if you go through Twitter, um, it, it was it was all over there. Um, they gave Arkansas, or Alabama multiple replays through the the VAR, and Grace got called for a handball in the box, which she immediately reacted when the whistle called. She was in the ref's face arguing, um, adamant that it touched her knee. Then they showed the replay because Alabama's actually got some next-level Jumbotron stuff going on at their soccer field. They actually showed the replay, and Monaghan saw it, and so did the bench, and the whole bench erupted, and Monaghan was, man, 20 yards out on the field under the ref's face. He got a yellow card. Um, yeah, and all that, and like she didn't handball it. I've now seen the replay, she didn't handball it. So, Memphis had to get job to lose. But what was great was the seven minutes after you know, a lot of these girls are from Canada, Germany, and you know, Japan, other places. But you know, when you live in Memphis, Daniel, you, you know, you embrace the culture. So, Memphis decided in the final, you know, 10 minutes after this. We're just going to get yellow cards left and right. We sweep the leg Cobra Kai style twice and got yellow cards. Grace kicked the ball at the opposing team's heads on the sideline because she was pissed about a call. I mean, the coach, like I said, got at the bench. Was that we just, I mean, we just started like just meleeing them and we're like, you know what? Like, we're going to lose. We're going to let them feel it. But now, all jokes aside, after the game, um, Taylor was scared because she thought the girls were going to be pissed. They came over and they weren't pissed. Um, Grace explained, um, you'll love this. The ref, the ref gave, um, let's see if I can remember the word. Um, intrinsically, um, like she asked why it, why she, they couldn't replay it. And he said it wasn't intrinsically, intrinsically part of the play or whatever. And she gets, She's like, not only do I don't know what that word meant, she goes, it didn't even make sense in context, uh, even if she did. Like, she's like, I don't know what he was saying. Anyway, and then, like, proceeded to walk off and wouldn't listen to her. And so uh, she was like, you know what? I know this. She goes, I know that we came in here and we were the better team. And Maya sent him in the same day. She goes, I hope we get to play them again. But she goes, 
we don't play a team even close to that caliber the rest of the season. So she goes, I know there's no reason why we can't beat anybody that we have remaining left. And we're a team that, that can win it all. And I felt like the same way. They're they're a team that can win it all. They got a bunch of upperclassmen, well coached. Um, so I'm excited for Memphis soccer going forward. On the volleyball front, LSU took care of business, winning their opening invitational. Um we managed to secure over the weekend Journey Robinson, the freshman, the SEC freshman of the week who had Daniel. We talk about this. You know these stats now. In one night, bro, she had 23 kills. Bro, she, she she's sniping, sniping. Wow. So her and Madison Martin took care of business. Mississippi State, Becca Walk. Seen plenty of highlights of her serving folks up. They take the Starkville Classic, win all three of their games. And, of course, you wouldn't expect anything else from Kentucky and, and that highly ranked team in the Johnny Teeler. They they had no mercy, and they took care of business. So, minus a Memphis screw job, Daniel, soccer and volleyball, all our female guests thriving. And I love it because we're fixing to go on a run, as you know, with a lot of female guests, we're going to do a lot of gymnastics, which I know you're excited about. Um, when we get Randy back in the mix, we got some Tennessee softball. We got some more soccer. We I mean, we got it all, bro. So, yeah, that's kind of, you know, where I wanted to give a little final thought before we get out of here is gymnastics. You realized that when when was the last you heard about Simone Biles? I mean, I saw the clips of the ridiculous stuff she's done over the past week. So, but as far as if but, you're talking about on a news front, it's not since her her episode in the Olympics. But we haven't heard of her training or practicing. We've seen some things of her doing, you know, like normal stuff that she does. And maybe it's not normal. Maybe it's like superhuman stuff, but she does these things so routinely and often that it seems just normal for her well she goes to the usa uh u.s gymnastics championship and wins her eighth title no big deal after a hiatus and it seems as though like she is poised and ready to just continue to dominate and what's scary jim about this simone biles is that she's clearly having more fun and not taking things as seriously and she's still head and shoulders better than the competition. Cause it's not like she just barely won. She just dominated. Um, yeah. So. When, when you see, when I watched her a final pass on the floor routine and, you know, I've been able to be close now for college gymnastics on the floor. It just showed the separation. I think the things that Kai and Haley do are ridiculous, right? It did doesn't even compare and that's obviously not a shot at the LSU girls that's a compliment to Simone no I mean you know next episode we got Emma Kelly coming on and she'll she'll probably tell us the same thing like you know watching the watching them you know at that level is just different um you know I'm interested to talk to Emma as well as you know when she sees people like Suni Lee um you know go out and do their thing like i think i think that's crazy um but um 
I'm I'm excited about next episode. You know, we get to talk gymnastics. We get to talk gymnastics with a high caliber um, athlete. But let's get out of here, man. Let's wrap this thing up. I want to thank our guest, Luke Holman, for joining us tonight. If you like hearing Luke's story or you just like hearing us average Joes talk X's and O's, please like and share the podcast on Facebook. Retweet us on Twitter. Listen and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor. As always, comments, ratings, feedback, thumbs up, hearts, hugs, loves. We'll take it all. Um, we'll see everybody next episode. We got one dropping Wednesday night. We got episode 16 coming at you. Once again, we're talking Arkansas Razorback Gymnastics with Emma Kelly. This has been the End Off the Bench Podcast. As always, remember, strong body, sharp minds, grit and grind all the time. We're out. <laughs>